Hi, you're listening to Talk Therapy, a pro mental health podcast hosted by me, Amy Gordon. Join us as personal and professional experts discuss important trends, issues, and considerations in the field. This show is intended for educational purposes and is not a substitute for therapeutic engagement with your own therapist. If you're struggling with mental health concerns, please reach out to a local professional for support. Thanks, and enjoy the show, y'all. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Talk Therapy. I'm here today with three special guests, and I've got a little extra nervous fangirl energy because I'm really excited about (laughs) the guests who are on the show today. We're here to talk to you about polyamory. Um, Our first guest is Kevin Patterson of Poly Role Models. He's the author of numerous books, including Love is Not Colorblind, and a facilitator for the Unfuck Your Polyamory course. Also here today is Michelle High of Polywild Asian, an influential figure and educator about non-monogamy and polyamory. And Katie Hendricks is joining us today. She's a licensed mental health counselor and specialist in interpersonal neurobiology, trauma, and non-normative relationships. I'm your host, Amy Gordon. I use she, her pronouns. I'm just going to open up the floor for my guests to share a little bit more about themselves if they'd like to. Um, oh boy, um, uh, you called it. Um, I, I, I write books, fiction and nonfiction centered around polyamory and polyamorous identity. And, um, yeah, Dr. Liz Powell and I, we do classes called Unfuck Your Polyamory, where we teach, uh, we break down all of the basics for anybody who's interested in learning about ethical non-monogamy. Sweet. Michelle, anything else you'd like to say about yourself? Um, yeah, with regard to, I think, the non-monogamy education and I think affirmation that I like to do, I do like to approach it from a more like intersectional lens as well, because I think that is lacking in a lot of um, non-monogamy community and discourse. And yeah, so I'm just trying to affirm, normalize, and also, I think, try to encourage people to think more critically about it as well. Yeah, thank you. Katie? Uh, I think the only thing I would add is just I've also, um, I guess I consider myself more of an experiential based somatic therapist. And I've found that extremely helpful in my own journey and also working with clients, you know, really connecting with your body and what your body is telling you and, you know, kind of exploring that more deeply. So I could see how that would be um, also really related to today's topic, too. Yeah, lovely. And Katie, I'm going to ask you to get us started with just, I'm not asking for you to give us like the whole like instruction book on the matter, but if you could just mention a few different non-monogamy or polyamory identities or, or even like structures for, uh, for listeners to have a little bit more foundation if they don't already have one. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're already hearing some terms, you know, ethical non-monogamy, monogamy versus non-monogamy, open relationships, and of course, polyamory. So, I mean, I guess the thing that sticks out to me the most with when we start to kind of differentiate um, some of these terms, but ultimately what it means to an individual is polyamory for me, the thing that sticks out the most, I guess, is just 
multiple love relationships that are deeper than just hookups or just sex or swinging or swapping. And I know that for a lot of the friends and folks that I work with that um, do very much so self-identify as polyamorous, it, it really is this um, connection to love. You know, the idea that you can love in a very deep connected way more than one person and of course I would be absolutely curious to hear what um, Michelle or Kevin have to add to that too. That seems like a, I mean pretty good like overall <laughs> either like love multiple people also I think uh, like non-monogamy is such a broad umbrella that um, that I feel like it also encompasses just potentially very radical ways of relating to, like not just like romantic love, but also including, you know, friendships as at the same tier as romantic love, because I think in our society, romantic love is just like, it's like the, the peak of this pyramid. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, just to add to that is just non-monogamy uh, can be very radical in more ways than just loving more than one person at a time. And um, kind of uh, dovetailing off of what you said about like, you know, just like finding multiple connections. Like uh, I, I feel like at the core of this is not just uh, finding multiple connections outside of ourselves, but finding multiple connections, like allowing these multiple connections to feed ourselves and like, uh, and feed into like multiple aspects of our, of our, of our beings where uh, I feel like every partner that I have, every partner that I've had just feeds into a different aspect of myself where like Kevin the activist versus Kevin the academic versus Kevin the, you know, the, the fitness guy, Kevin the geek, each of these people are authentic to myself, but like each of them has like different partners who lend into that. So it's not just finding multiple people outside of ourselves, but finding multiple people within ourselves that all need sort of like love and nurturing. Ooh, I love that. It's getting kind of like psychodynamic. And I wholeheartedly agree. Yeah, I, whole, I get that. Yeah, and there are a, a bunch of versions of polyamory, and you're welcome to Google them. Um, there's solely polyamory, there are open relationships. There are like a million shades of open relationships, what those might look like. Um, some monogamous partners have polyamorous partners. And um, yeah, it can get very nuanced and unique. So yeah, there are a number of unique challenges that polyam folks experience that might even lead a person to therapy. So since this is a therapy podcast, I thought maybe we could talk about a couple of those factors. Michelle, would you mind getting us started kind of talking about what some of these things might be? Yeah. So, um, so during peer support sessions that I offer, I think a lot of um, concerns that I hear from people are that they are worried that they can't do non-monogamy, that they just can't do it because like they feel the twinge of jealousy or they, um, or they have these insecurities. And I have to remind them that like we, most of us literally have decades of monogamous programming and we are still constantly, like there are whole industries around just monogamy as king. Um, so, so it does require like um, kind of unwriting and overwriting decades of all these narratives in our heads. And so I think that's um, something that a lot of people will go to like therapy for with like a polyamorous friendly or informed therapist mm -hmm. is to help like identify the monogamous narratives um, and tell the person that they're not like wrong and they're not a bad person. And then helping to kind of like ease and reframe in a more 
non-monogamous or non-monogamy friendly way. Yeah, thank you. Kevin and, and Katie, what are your thoughts? Yeah, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, of course, really happy to hear the word jealousy already coming into the conversation. And, you know, as a therapist, I think, you know, looking deeper into all of these different emotions that we get to feel as humans, jealousy is like one of the, I mean, just fascinating ones. Um, so I, I think that's one of the main things that I, I mean, all of the poly folks that I've had the honor to work with, it's like there's something around jealousy usually. And um, of course, I can also totally geek out and I mean, have geeked out, you know, for a long, long time in previous lives lived, you know, teaching self-defense, working with survivors, but boundaries. Um, and, you know, this is a big umbrella stuff, but it's like looking at our own personal boundaries, looking at the different emotions that come up that are connected with that. And, you know, working with all these different topics, it's like everything is so fluid, really. I mean, even a, a firm, solid boundary that I felt really attached to three years ago could be totally non-existent now. And I, I see that navigation um, bringing a lot of folks, I mean, like finally to the point where it's like, okay, I think I do need, you know, to get some peer support or I need to talk to a therapist. It's really this like, wow, like I was navigating these waters, like it felt like just fine. And now it's like, I'm in too deep. And I, I don't know, you know, the feelings and the thoughts and everything that's coming up in regards to myself and to my relationships. And that's when I really see people um, wanting to seek out some additional support. Um, so sort of connecting to, to what you're both saying, like, when you're, when you're, uh, when you're polyamorous, you kind of have to have an advanced relationship, both with your boundaries and with jealousy in that, like, if you're in a monogamous relationship, there's like a, there's a certain level of ownership and unit cohesion involved where if somebody makes me feel jealous I can just tell my partner don't do that thing you know and because we're the only people who are really important to each other on that romantic or sexual level on that that companionship level um they might feel compelled to just do the thing do the thing or stop doing the thing that makes me jealous whereas if I'm in a polyamorous relationship, that might not be so as cut and dry. Like I might not be able to cut off other people in my life who work around those boundaries, who work around that jealousy. So like, I'd have to have a, an advanced level of interaction with those things where I have to say like, why do I have these boundaries set up? Why am I feeling jealous? What's going on here? How much of that is like a legit fear, a legit insecurity? And how much of that is stuff that I need to understand better and work my way through, work my way around, you know, confront and, and process through. Um, so like, yeah, and that, that might require some additional support, some outside support, but um, in, a, in a more monogamous setup, it, again, it might just be as simple as saying, I feel jealous when you do that thing. Just don't do that thing anymore. Yeah. It's almost like an advanced placement course in relationships. It's like, yeah, it's, it's a harder curriculum, but the, the payoff and the fulfillment could be even greater. Yeah. Like relationships and uh, emotional literacy both. 
Yes. Yeah. And I honestly think of those things as protective factors. So in the world of mental health, we have like, you know, risk factors and protective factors. So risk factors are, you know, things that make somebody more predisposed to suffering mental health issues. But I think that non-monogamous folks are often pretty skilled in some of those protective factors. So like you mentioned, Kevin, advanced relationships with boundaries and jealousy, that's that's hard work that a lot of people never get around to doing. And I, I guess I think of like, all that extra negotiating needs and, you know, emotional needs and also around like sexual health and all in navigating, you know, multiple intimate relationships. That's all really hard work that actually builds character. Yeah. Like, um, I, I don't get this question very often anymore, but like earlier in my, in my non-monogamous journey, when I'd talk to somebody who was sort of new to it, they'd say like, well, what kind of rules do you have in place? And like, what I learned really quickly was that a lot of the, a lot of the rules that people have set up are, are more like, cages for their for their what's it called for their insecurities and their fears yeah. as opposed to like attempts to confront them attempts to, to to learn from them or process their way through them a lot of it was just like i've got this rule in place so i never have to feel feel bad again except that's not how life works no. so you're either dealing with it or you're not dealing with it but you know but that's that's gonna come up again mm-hmm. yeah absolutely so Kevin, I, I'm hoping you would get us started in a conversation about what are some positive ways to support polyamorous individuals? Could be, you know, could be friends, family, therapy, whatever. Um, not making any, like leaving a lot of the assumptions behind because there's there's so many and they're and like they're so varied like polyamory can be so many different things it's part of what i love about it that you can customize it in a way that works for you and your partners and i've had people say well you know polyamory is just about sex and it's like well i mean i have a lot of sex but like a lot of people who i know who are as polyamorous as i am as validly polyamorous as i am aren't having any sex or little to no sex and that's and that works as well um a friend of mine has a story where she went to her therapist uh to talk uh her and her husband went to couples therapy and when she mentioned that she was polyamorous her therapist was like will your third be joining us and that's you know that wasn't a reasonable that wasn't a reasonable assumption that she had a third you know and so just things like things like that people have so many assumptions about what it is and what it isn't when it can really be as wildly varied as any other relationship style yeah what about you michelle do you have some thoughts about positive ways to support polyamorous individuals yeah, I mean, like, I totally agree with everything Kevin said. And uh, because, right, it's just so varied. There are so many different ways. I mean, even even dating, like I, I you know, on online dating apps or something, and someone says that they're polyamorous, I make no assumptions about what that polyamory looks like. And I think the best thing to do always is to ask. And to, right, to ask the person to, like, explain what their structure is like and what their philosophy is like and how many people they are um, involved with or aren't involved with. Um, and yeah, just having uh, just kind of like a broader, more open mind. And <laughs> I think even if someone isn't super familiar with polyamory, just like, just pretend it's normal. Like, I think just pretend it's normal, pretend it's not weird because it really isn't. But um, it, yeah, it's just not talked about as much as it could be. And so yeah, just to just ask questions and be curious and, and then I think oftentimes, I think sometimes people just need to sit with it as well because it can be a lot of pr- to process if you don't 
if you're not familiar with polyamory and all the different types of structures. Yeah, I love that. Kind of fake it till you make it. Like, <laughs> calm it down, observe. Like, yeah, it doesn't have yeah. to be weird. Yeah, I, I think Kevin really, you know, <laughs> covered a lot actually with that response. You know, and then also Michelle, I mean, just more questions, be curious. You know, I mean, these are all the things that, you know, I, I would say that I would hope all therapists <laughs> are, are really being taught to do, you know, staying in a place of non-judgment, just being curious. But Kevin, when you were like getting ready to share that example, I could feel my whole body just like tense and be like, oh no, like here's another horror story about like something yeah. terrible that happened in a therapist's office. Like I, I was just like bracing myself. And, um, and you know, sadly I have heard a terrible, <laughs> terrible stories, you know, where there, there was judgment, there was um, just so... Uh, so little understanding too, you know, I mean, and then it's like, then the client is in the role as educator for their therapist. And, yeah. and I, I, I think that that needs to really be looked at too. And, you know, Amy, I'm, I'm thinking also just, you know, a little shout out, um, Amy and I, we are very lucky to have kind of a, a very wonderful person that lives here as a local resource. And um, her name is Mim Chapman. She's very out poly um, counselor. Oh, good. I'm seeing head nods too. And um, Amy, I don't know if you remember, I mean, this was years ago now, but Mim did a talk at our school um, for our counseling program. And I was so excited, you know, that this was happening. And it, the talk was supposed to be about how therapists can support poly folks. And it ended up being completely like a poly 101 talk. And it was really, I mean, it was, I'm so glad I was there. And it was really eye-opening to me to, to see the response of some of my fellow, you know, classmates at the time. So this is a room of, you know, mostly aspiring therapists, students, and some therapists, and I think some, you know, poly folks were also there representing. But um, to see the response from, you know, some of our classmates that were just like, what? How? How do you do this? And, and it was like, oh, like I remember being in that place before too. And so I think it is just so important, you know, especially for a therapist or any kind of, you know, support people, healers, helpers to really um, take a class, go to a talk, you know, get some exposure to, to what this is so that it's like mind blowing, you know, what, how isn't happening? Hopefully hopefully in a therapy session with a polyamorous person, you know. Like a lot of us, a lot of us attend couples therapy because of like an individual couple that we are a part of and get told, you know, something to the effect of, okay, well, how about you just like leave, leave off all the other people that you're dating and focus on each other. And it's like, people aren't disposable in that way. You know, you can't just, if the problem is this couple, it doesn't mean that that couple is also a problem or, you know, or at least it shouldn't mean that. Mim is a great resource. Um, we, uh, Mim and I, we actually, we've taught at, at, uh, at the same local polyamory conference several times. 
Dr. Liz Powell and myself, like our Unfuck Your Polyamory class, while it's currently geared towards uh, just general people involved in polyamory, our next step is going to be to adapt it to uh, as a class for therapists. We're going to adapt it as a class for therapists so that like, so that less of us run those same kind of problems of people, like not just people who have a judgment towards their clients, but also for clients to feel like they need to educate their therapists. Like, let, let us do that. We'll handle that so that you can just go and have the best client therapist experience that, uh, that you can. Yeah. Yeah, I, um, I, I currently have the fortune of having a therapist who is like both like polyamorous informed and like like they themselves are polyamorous. So yeah, going into it, that was just like, that was like a main reason that I chose them. And it was just like a weight off of my mind that I don't have to explain that like I'm using partners in multiple different contexts and I'm like using different names and like they're not questioning me and they're just, yeah, just total acceptance. Like can, so I can talk about, you know, my polyamorous relationship but then I also feel like more free to talk about other things without feeling that they're judging me. And that has been, uh, that's made a huge difference. Awesome. Yeah, I highly recommend to listeners who, you know, who are even considering polyamory or who are involved in polyamory, you know, lifestyle to definitely um, like interview potential therapists and ask about their sex positivity, ask about their exposure to non-monogamy because yeah, it's, it's huge. It's a whole lot less work you'll end up doing if you find a therapist who's on board. Well, we've already started answering this question, but I was wondering if we could discuss uh, any like unhelpful and fucked up things to do or say to polyamorous folks in therapy. Um, and we've kind of hit, hit that up in a few ways. Um, does anybody have additional thoughts on that? Any other like no-nos? I feel like this probably will relate some to like therapy, but I think polyamorous people commonly hear from other people, like monogamous people in general about like assumptions or misconceptions about polyamory, that it's about um, like failure to commit. Um, That's a huge one. And like um, assumptions about a person being greedy or selfish and yeah, not being able to kind of ironically not being able to actually form bonds in community. Um, so I think those assumptions, I think just from like the average person can be very harmful. But yeah, I can see that being particularly harmful if like if I were to hear that from <laughs> from a therapist, those kinds of assumptions. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're not bad at monogamy. We're good at polyamory. Like these are two separate things. Yeah, and I think, you know, also as a queer person, I I consider this aspect of it quite a bit, which is this like implication that it's a choice, um, instead of just accepting that some people might just be naturally oriented in a more polyamorous fashion for whatever reason, you know, call it nature, nurture, whatever, but some people are more prone to life satisfaction through polyamory. Um, And it's not a choice necessarily. Not that you can't, you know, operate some agency through polyamory. I I think that's important to mention. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I always feel, you know, cautious myself. I mean, like, I guess in more of the therapist role when, when supporting folks. But like, I think that there's a way to really validate a person and and honoring you know the effort and and the work and the commitment 
And um, yeah, I mean, absolutely. At times the, the extra, you know, communication and dialogue and space holding and, and all of that that goes into, you know, living out of the box lifestyles. And I, I think, you know, I have actually felt invalidated by um, therapists in, that I've had in the past when it was like the way that that was said was kind of like, I guess it came across as like, this is a lot of work and like, you're bringing this on yourself. <laughs> and it's, you know, kind of going back to what you just mentioned, Amy, it's like, but, but this is me, <laughs> like, you know, this is, this is what I'm trying to do. And like, you're supposed to be with me. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I know, you know, like I, I remember just being like, huh? Like the very feeling like there was a, a big disconnect. However, at times, like I also, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that sometimes I think it is a nice reminder to really be validated with everything that you're doing and, and all the effort that is being put forward and just being able to name that too. Wow, this sounds like a lot. So I, I do see myself like be, oh, being maybe overly cautious of that validation point with people because I, I would never want anyone to feel the way that I did too, where it's just like, well, yeah, duh, like it's a lot of work and I'm, I, I have to do this. You know, I'm, I'm not just choosing to do this, like this is me. So um, that's something that comes to mind, I guess. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. Well, there are a lot of topics in the realm of polyamory, non-monogamy, non-normative relationship styles. One of them that's really up right now, of course, is COVID. Um, and I know a lot of folks are really slowing down their dating lives or really kind of narrowing it down, trying to operate under like a harm reduction type of mentality when it comes to connecting with others. Anybody have thoughts or experiences they'd like to share about navigating polyamory during this time? Something else that I really enjoy about, about polyamory is how face forward everyone that I'm around, every, uh, the people that I date are with like sexual health things where uh, nobody's out like broad dogging randos, you know, like we're, we're having like active and real conversations with about like sexual health and we're kind of doing the same thing with, with COVID. Like we've already, we already have like a, we already have like a model for that, you know, uh, and we're, having real conversations about exposure risks, who, who we're around, what we're doing, you know, what's going on with our kids. My kids are back in school. I work from home, but my wife works out in the world. So like just being able to have those conversations and at the same time, like figuring out these, um, these bubbles where um, like I've got a, outside of my home, I've got like a three partner bubble and I know what's going on with those three partners and I can trust that if there's any changes in their respective statuses, they'll let me know. And if there's any change in my status, I'll let the three of them know. And just kind of keeping it, keeping it close knit in that way, like just having the model from sexual health conversations and adapting that to pandemic conversations, that's been great. But not everybody has that. Like I, I've, I've got friends and, you know, further outside the bubble partners who were like, I haven't seen anybody in six months. I haven't left my house at all. It's not easy for anybody, but all we can realistically do is give each other enough grace to handle a, a situation that none of us saw coming and none of us were really prepared for. Yeah, and I love that you pointed out another protective factor, right? Like polyam folks are used to navigating these discussions around health and reducing risk around health. 
Yeah, and it's it's interesting because I think, um, well, I, I think and I, I don't know, kind of hope that, yeah, talking about like COVID risks and stuff, or I think a lot of people who weren't used to this kind of discussion, I think maybe might like in practice just implement it more, um, like with regard to COVID and with regard to sexual health uh, for, yeah, people who aren't used to it. And um, like I, like I put a moratorium on like meeting any new folks in person um, just because, yeah, I don't feel comfortable enough with it. And like, I still want to see, you know, partners that I do have now. And yeah, a lot of what Kevin said, where it's just like, we're all very upfront where it's like, okay, how many times have you left the house? Who have you seen? Um, like, okay, you've gone to the grocery store twice <laughs> this month and that's it. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I'll come over. But yeah, where it's like, oh, you know, like I went to my family's house and saw a couple of friends, like, okay, maybe we'll wait a couple of weeks or something and then we'll touch base then. Um, also Google Calendar, <laughs> just like, just kind of like scattering people around where it's like, okay, so I see this partner here and then maybe in like two or three weeks, this partner here maybe, and we'll talk about that. Um, spacing yes. and pacing, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. Just like, like spacing it out and stuff. Um, and it's, it's definitely much more difficult, but I mean, I think, right, if people want to make it work, they're definitely... Um, like safe, not, I don't know, I wouldn't say like safe, but there are safer ways to make still connecting with people work. Yeah. And, you know, just some examples that are coming to mind too. Like I've really been inspired by the creativity that I'm, I'm hearing more utilizing technology to connect more. Um, also the slow down time, taking a little more time for self or just focusing in on the already established relationships that folks have. Um, being outside more, like I'm just, I'm thinking of like lots of just very sweet stories where it's like, we hang out in parks and we love it. Like we'll never like change it now. And, you know, some of the gifts that, you know, COVID has really presented but also I, I definitely, you know, agree with what Kevin is bringing in. I, I think that there is some like very natural flow. You know, we are used to having these conversations. We're able to talk about boundaries, what feels good, you know, should you quarantine, should you not? Like, what am I comfortable with? Like, that's already kind of in, you know, the, the language for a lot of folks that have been navigating this lifestyle. So I, I definitely have seen that as well, like being a little more ease or having some more flow with those kind of conversations. Something else that ended up being sort of a benefit, like polyamory benefit, is that my wife makes masks. Like she, it was like a hobby that turned into like a, a, a side hustle. And because she's making masks, she knows that everybody inside our bubble has masks and she's been making them and selling them. And, and like, I'll buy, like, um, you know, she'll get some fabric that's part of a fandom that one of my partners is into. So I'll buy, you know, like we all like Steven Universe. So when my wife got like cookie <laughs> You know, I bought a bunch of cookie cat masks to give away to like all of my partners. So like my wife could feel a little bit more secure about like the safety and health of our bubble because she knows they all have top quality masks. Hell yeah. I just listened to um, the American Sex Podcast with Sunny Megatron. Uh, they have an episode that came out recently and their guest is Sarah Sloan on it, but they talk a lot about these things, like how to have fun with it. Like Katie, you mentioned, um, you know, taking more time to kind of try some things out, try out some like, you know, video sex or video chatting or learning about yourself, learning about kinks, learning about what you want. And then also fun with masks. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of a lot of fun that could be had with masks, especially when poly 
polyamory intersects with kink. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, I think it's always important in really considering any topic to discuss social justice matters related to the topic. And so I'm hoping we can do that. Would anybody feel compelled to get us started with just um, bringing up a few topics that are relevant in the world of polyamory when we're considering social justice? Well, um, (laughs) uh, so yeah, I live in Portland. Portland is a predominantly white city. And I think, and this isn't just in Portland, I think this is like all over a lot, is that a lot of polyamorous communities are predominantly white. And I think it's not something that's like talked about a whole lot as to why, because I think there are a lot of um, issues with regard to access. A lot of these events take places at like bars and whatnot, places that you have to pay money to get into. And then I think when you have a lot of spaces that are just white, it just continues to make um, like people of color not feel welcome in general, even though like, you know, a lot of these people are very nice people. They're very nice people and whatnot. But I think these spaces just do not tend to feel inclusive. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think, yeah, those are conversations that I think a lot of uh, polyamorous communities need to have um, a lot more often. And of course, with the, the voices of like people of color actually too. Like I'm on the opposite end of that spectrum in that like, I live in the Philadelphia area and Philadelphia, depending on which census you look at, is somewhere between 40 and 45% black. And I would still go to polyamorous events that were almost exclusively white. Like I spent I spent a couple of years feeling like I was like the token black guy of my local polyamory community. I'd keep going to events and it would just be like me and one other black dude also named Kevin. And <laughs> um, it's how I started this work, honestly. I started talk- I started talking about my experiences uh, being like one of the only people of color who would consistently go to events and people heard that and they, they could relate to it because that was their experience as well. Uh, it's how I started the blog Poly Role Models. It's how I wrote the book Love's Not Colorblind. Uh, it's the mind that I use when I write the superhero books, the for hire books. It's one of the topics we, we dedicate a whole day to for um, the Unfuck Your Poly Amory classes because there have been times where like I go to an event and I realize like the only thing I have in common with some of these folks is polyamory and while that's usually okay you know I, I can see the barriers for entry like someone might say something to me and I might come back to the next event but I can understand why somebody else might hear what I heard and never come back again there are times where I felt like uh, tokenized there are times where I have felt fetishized there are times where I can afford to go to a place, but I realized that in, uh, if class and finance is a barrier for entry, you know, like if you are part of an identity that's typically marginalized by way of class, that polyamory can can bar you at the door, whether it's trying to or not, you know. And like Michelle said, like these are the conversations that we need to have, not just around polyamory, but around society in general. Um, but it's easy to pick apart by way of polyamory because you can point to like your, you can point to a, a community as white as Philadelphia, a community as white as, uh, as Portland, despite like vastly different demographics. You know, if it's, if it still looks white on both coasts, despite various like wildly different uh, demographics, there's something else going on there that you need to stop and have a conversation about. 
Yeah, and actually in Santa Fe, where both Katie and I live, white people are, they're a minority, barely, but still a minority, um, with a, a larger Hispanic community and a, and a fairly relatively large, you know, in comparison to the national census, um, population of indigenous folks. But we've gone to events, and it's like 99.9% .9 white people still. Yeah, there's an event called uh, Southwest Love Fest in Tucson, Arizona, and they, they they do a really good job of trying to like center uh, POC voices. The, organi the, the organizers aren't, but they set aside a lot, a lot of their resources to make a safer space for people of color. And like, it's not going to be 100%, but like just the effort and just the amount of resources that go into it, make it a safer, more comfortable, more welcoming space. Um, like I was able to do a lot of that kind of work in Philadelphia, but like if you're not specifically trying to do that work, you can't just hang a you can't just hang a welcome sign and say everybody's welcome and then like inclusive environments result at, at, at that yeah, way. Like, you gotta you put gotta your money where your mouth is. Exactly, you really do. I was just gonna say I just I so appreciate hearing you know both of your personal experiences in the different areas that you live and um, how white folks can also be supportive and you know be able to have these hard conversations especially when it is predominantly white and in different you know of the, like lifestyles kink culture specifically has been one that I think has been really up and people have been talking about it more but also in um, the poly world as well. The other, you know, issue that is coming to mind, actually a really wonderful um, voice is uh, Tamika Wilder and the Orgasmic Mama is her Instagram. And she is a woman of color and, you know, her voice is just so beautiful because she's also a sex educator who talks about being poly, being a woman of color, but also being a mom, which I think is another one of the big um, social justice issues around poly folks really um, feeling afraid, you know, that they don't have rights and that um, some of those rights can be taken away, especially when they're, you know, being judged very harshly um, with the choices to raise a family and have children, you know, in this kind of environment. And I think it is important to know that there are lawyers and there are people, advocates out there that specifically, you know, help poly folks and, you know, are very well versed in, in some of these topics specifically too. Yeah, I don't often think about that, but yeah, folks with kids, I imagine there are some additional challenges that come with that. Definitely. Well, I was recently called in by a friend of mine for using the term poly, referring to polyamory, and I wasn't aware of this, but there is some discussion about polyam folks being asked to discontinue referring to themselves as poly by the Polynesian community, um, because yeah. poly is also shorthand for Polynesian. Um, so just uh, another consideration to share. I'm, I don't know all the ins and outs, but but I believe people. <laughs> I believe people when, yeah. when they share that um, this is a conflict because of my identity. Yeah, that's a, that's a rabbit hole that, that I went down for the book, Love's Not Colorblind. And like, I know that that conversation was really centered around the way that we tag our online resources. Like, if I put a post and it's hashtag poly, who knows who's gonna, who's gonna, you know, pick that up, where people who are looking for resources surrounding Polynesian folks, islanders, are gonna get like, the water is gonna get muddy for those folks. 
I know that like for some of us, like myself included, like I created my branding poly role models before I was aware of that. And so like now I made it a point to like anything that I tag, I'm going to tag differently. Anything that I create from this point forward, I'm going to, you know, label differently. But um, I make it a point that whenever I say poly role models or poly in general, it's, it's in spaces that are really specifically and very clearly denoted for polyamory so that it's not people, you know, looking for thing A and end up with thing B. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that, yeah, that is like the, I think the key portion of it where it's like using it more intentionally rather than just like flinging it around anywhere. Um, yeah, like I don't, I don't tag anything with hashtag poly. It's always hashtag polyam or just full on polyamory. Um, uh, but yeah, yeah, like in spaces like this, when we talk about poly, I think there's no uh, no confusion that we're talking about polyamory. So yeah, yeah it is all about um, yeah being more mindful of space and intention. Mm-hmm. You just said what I said, but you said it so much better than I said it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I really, I, I hope that we can get to you sharing a little bit about some of your recent posts about polyamorous while anxious. I love that content. Like as a therapist, I love that content. So maybe I'll I'll prod you about that in a moment. There's one more social justice consideration that comes to my mind. And then, you know, maybe other folks want to share more, but non-consensual or coerced polygyny in religious communities. I think sometimes outsiders, especially like folks without a lot of exposure to like alternative or non-normative lifestyles, actually kind of blend the two in their mind. They're like, oh, polyamory, that's like when that the the dude from the Church of Latter-day Saints has like eight wives, right? And like half of them are underage and, you know, whatever. Like, and um, there's a tiny bit of overlap under that umbrella, but I actually do think that crosses a line into being like non-consensual and um, like not ethical. It's so nuanced that I don't think it's going to be helpful to really break that down more, but I do just want to highlight that as being a potential social justice consideration in this realm. I've actually had people like uh, way back early in my in my journey before I sort of locked down my dating to experience polyamorous like I've had people say like oh you're polyamorous like you mean like sister wives and then like yeah. now I've got to now I've got to educate this person on polyamory before they reject me for 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 the date that they were only lukewarm on anyway so yeah, yeah. Yeah, still in like comments and stuff. Like you can tell, you can tell. I think when there are people who are uh, monogamous and like are already coming into <laughs> my space with like judgment, and they just they just use the word polygamy, where it's like, oh yeah, no polygamy, it doesn't work, blah 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 blah. And it's like, well, it's not. I'm not wanting to marry multiple people. This is very different. And I think polygamy also right has connotations of like uh, religious connotations. And I'm like, I don't. I'm not really talking about that and I don't even know if I want to engage with you necessarily because I don't think this is going to be particularly productive. The fun part is when they push back on you as if you're the one who's not educated on it like they're the same thing Michelle. It's like <laughs> I not and I spend a lot of time talking about it and yeah. Yeah. Dogs. My dogs are losing their shit. Sorry, excuse me, everyone. <laughs> no, that might be a great place to stop then. I so appreciate all of you making the time to have this discussion. It's important to talk about and uh, have a really great Sunday. Thank you. Thank you. Nice to meet you both. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you as well. 
Thank you for listening to Talk Therapy. The podcast is hosted and produced by me, Amy Gordon. For more information about the show, check out my Instagram, amygordon1985. Special thanks to Kabbalistic Village for the use of his incredible music for this podcast. To continue to support the podcast and promote mental health awareness, please subscribe to Talk Therapy on your favorite listening platform. I hope you enjoyed the show. Take care, y'all.